We had a topical study we're going to do today in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's our test, uh, text if you want to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 through 12 is going to be our focus. The topic, we may be earthen vessels, but we contain a great treasure that sustains us through even the worst of times. The title of our message, The Treasure's All Mine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our gathering together. Thank you for those watching online. I appreciate this family of believers, Lord. Uh, this, uh, you know, particular gathering of us and all of us together, Lord, that consider ourselves members of this local fellowship. Lord, I pray that you would minister to us as a family today, that we would uh, listen to the words of our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, our friend and Savior. Though we're believers, Lord, for the most part, it doesn't mean that we can't be uh, despairing of, of various things, Lord, the, because of the world in which we live. And then there's just personal tragedies that happen as well. I pray that you would answer all of those today with a sense of your presence in our lives and in this place. And that your word would strengthen us, Lord, speaking between the soul and the spirit where no one else can dwell. And that we would go out of this place, Lord, uh, strengthened in our most holy faith. Guide and direct us, Lord, we pray. And those who agreed said, amen. Apparently, a lot of people are looking for COVID-19 help and hope from an unexpected source. Pandemic feature films. One entertainment reporter glibly wrote, with the world falling apart courtesy of the coronavirus, I have prepared a list of enjoyable pandemic movies. The Andromeda Strain, Outbreak, World War Z, 12 Monkeys, and The Omega Man are trending. One article listed 79 pandemic movies to, as they put it, binge watch during quarantine. I don't recommend it. <laughs> Contagion is now the second most popular film in the Warner Brothers catalog. Last year it was number 270. Is it helping? Are people finding hope in the movies? Seems not. A CDC report reveals what they label a considerably elevated mental health toll from COVID-19 stresses. More than two in five U.S. residents report struggling with mental or behavioral health issues associated with the COVID-19 pandemic, including anxiety, depression, increased substance use, and suicidal thoughts. In October, 37% of adults said they felt hopeless more than half of the days in the past week. The World Health Organization says bereavement, isolation, loss of income, and fear are triggering mental health conditions or exacerbating existing ones. Many people may be facing increased levels of alcohol and drug use, insomnia, and anxiety. In April, a survey concluded that two out of five participants reported a decline in mental health since COVID-19's inception. Anxiety, stress, fear of unemployment, being less busy, and working from home were the top five reasons for this decline among the 2,000 individuals surveyed. COVID-19 isn't the only killer in this pandemic. In October, ABC News reported that predictions of more suicides during COVID-19 are coming true. In Japan, listen carefully, more people died from suicide in October than from COVID-19 in the entire year of 2020. A Hopkins Bloomberg article said, the pandemic has created a convergence of suicide risk factors that need a public health response. 
Maybe people are looking to the movies because there's no place else to go. The World Health Organization is reporting that the COVID-19 pandemic has disrupted or halted critical mental health services in 93% of the countries worldwide. The Pan American Health Organization says care for mental health issues is inadequately funded in 27 countries of the Americas. That same organization reports that one in five health workers is experiencing symptoms of depression. Why aren't people flocking to local churches? Oh, that's right, the churches were officially closed. If they were allowed to be open, they were treated like a big box retailer rather than the temple of God on the earth. Limited attendance, mandated to meet outdoors, no singing allowed, masks and distancing required. Talking to believers now, we are not exempt from the negative effects of the new not so normal. With our love of Christian fellowship, we may be even more impacted psychologically than others. I met a young man on uh, Thursday night at our uh, Christmas Eve service, came up and introduced himself from Calvary San Jose. And so I asked him, I said, what are you doing down here? And he said, I'm visiting my mom in Fresno. I said, so what are you doing in Hanford? He said, this is the only church we could find that was having a live service and she's just hungry for the fellowship as am I. And so Christians, they want a fellowship. They want to want to be together more so, I think, than other people. And so I want to suggest a strategy from God's word by which you both receive and, more importantly, render hope and help. The passage is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 12, where I've asked you to turn. The Apostle Paul describes those who are in Christ as having a great treasure, which ought to supply you in any situation, including this current global pandemic. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, inventory the treasure you have received. And number two, invest the treasure you have to render. Let's talk about inventory in just a moment. But first, let's start about talking, uh, let's first talking about the church for just a moment. Way back at the beginning of all this, you remember churches were told they could not meet except with a skeleton crew to produce live streaming content. It led to a sort of divide among believers as many promoted not gathering in person as a positive. The church has left the building would be a way to describe their giddiness over not being allowed to meet. How's that working out? Well, according to the folks at Barna, one third of practicing Christians have stopped attending church completely. Only 50% say they have live streamed their church services sometime during a four week period. Another 34% are digital church hopping. Now, what's wrong with that? We have a tendency to listen to what we want to hear rather than what God has to say to us. And I'm a firm believer that uh, when we are members of a local church, uh, that we are where God wants us in order to hear what he wants us to hear. As he chooses the books and topics to be covered, as uh, he chooses the words that come from the pulpit in a certain sense. And even if you, you don't get anything from me or the, whoever's here, the Holy Spirit has you in this place to hear a particular, we would say, prophetic word about your life. And so it's important that we're members of local churches and not just listening to whatever podcast we wish. In late August, the Christian Chronicle reported that one in five churches are facing permanent closure within 18 months due to COVID-19 shutdowns. And I, I think we will see a number of churches uh, either seriously struggling or uh, being shut down. Uh, live streaming, great resource. We love it. We did it before. We're doing it now. We'll continue to do it. 
It isn't church, however, any more than watching Hawaii Five-O at home in your bathing suit is your vacation. <laughs> Same deal, right? Oh, just watch church at home. Well, save money on your vacation. Just crank up Hawaii Five-O, old generation or new, doesn't matter. Or watch Elvis's Blue Hawaii. I mean, if you want to really get entertained and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. You don't have to go anywhere. You could go anywhere digitally. Uh, and, and, you know, so that's the idea. Uh, live streaming is, is, it's okay. And by the way, I, I just want to say this real quick. I do want to commend uh, our leadership here at the church for, uh, I believe, taking the right course through this, the right course for us. Uh, you know, all we, we're only concerned about ourselves in, in one sense, uh, in the sense of we don't make decisions for other churches and for other organizations. Uh, but our leadership uh, is to be applauded for their courage to keep us open during this time. Now, we shouldn't expect non-believers to understand why our gatherings are essential. What we can expect is for them to think we are COVID-19 breeding grounds that will undermine all efforts to halt the pandemic. And if you spend more than five minutes on the internet searching these kinds of things, you'll find a lot of uh, discomfort and almost hatred towards churches because they desire to meet. The church is not this or any other stick and stucco structure. We can gather anywhere. It is wrong, however, to insist that the church is not a building. When we gather, we collectively construct the temple of God on the earth as living stones that have been brought together in a way we are not when we do not gather. Equipping the saints and exercising our spiritual gifts are just two of the reasons our gathering together is essential. Jesus' description of himself in the Revelation as walking in the midst of the gathered church is more than an argument for getting together. It's, it's an incentive and an invitation. Uh, I mean, we're telling people that if you come to a gathering of the saints that has been um, brought together by the Lord, he promises to meet you there. He'll be there to minister to you. Don't get me wrong. We're not saying that you must attend a gathering. COVID-19 and the seasonal flu, for that matter, are serious health concerns, more so to some than others. We leave it up to you to attend or not, depending on your circumstances. It's your decision. Uh, if you want to come to church, you do, fine. If you don't and you're still a member of this church, fine. We're not... Uh, we're not telling anybody they have to come. This is one thing I don't understand about the whole thing. We're not forcing anybody to do anything. Uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't say, hey, we're open, and if you, if you don't come, you're not a Christian. Come, go. Uh, you're still part of the church. What I am getting at is that whatever you decide to do, it should be with the understanding that our meetings are essential. So if you decide to stay home because you have your own reasons, that's great. But don't try and say that we don't have to get together or we shouldn't get together or the church meeting together is not essential. I agree with Captain Barbosa who once said, we are disinclined to acquiesce to our governor's requests. <laughs> they went viral. Let's get into our text. We're gonna get in so much trouble. Verse seven, we, so this, actually we are in the text now. Verse seven. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Let's stop there. Referring back to verses 1 through 6, Paul described his ministry of preaching the gospel. Albert Barnes summarizes most commentators when he writes, The treasure is the gospel, the rich and invaluable truths which they were called to preach to others. 
When I hear the word treasure, I'm always reminded of J.R.R. Tolkien's description of the dwarf treasure upon which slept the mighty dragon Smaug. There he lay, a vast red golden dragon fast asleep. Beneath him, under all his limbs and his huge coil tail, and about him on all sides stretching away across the unseen floors, lay countless piles of precious things, gold wrought and unwrought, gems and jewels and silver red stained in the ruddy light. The gospel can seem like that, uh, an incredible, vast treasure in general. I think we need to break it down, or as I'm saying, to inventory it in a certain way. Paul gave us an inventory in another letter. The passage is in chapter 1 of Ephesians. You can turn there if you like, but I'm just going to pull out of it 10 of those treasures that he mentions. Uh, he calls them blessings there, but we can think of them as the particulars of our treasure. They are resources that are available to us in the heavenlies. And first he says, you are chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. To, this morning's not a time to get sidetracked by the doctrine of election and thereby miss what your treasure is. There's a time for that. Uh, we do that. If we were in Ephesians 1, we talk about election. But what's being said here is that before sin entered the world, God had a plan to save you, and it includes completing the work he starts in you. In a big picture sense, God remains in charge, his plan for the world remains intact, and more importantly, his plan for you remains intact to bring you before the Father holy and blameless in love. And so we're, again, struggling with COVID-19, your coworkers and family struggling with it. We have these invasive thoughts and what's going to happen and all of those kinds of things. Well, God wants you to know that his plan is intact. Uh, this is not a surprise to God. It's, there's no breaking news in heaven, you know. HNN, Heaven National News, or whatever. So they don't have to wake up God in the middle of the night and say it's a pandemic. You know, he, he's aware of it. And more importantly, you will be completed in Jesus Christ. You will be made holy and blameless. And if anything, he will use this time to work in your life. You are predestined to adoption. Wow, we're getting all these big words. Don't get tripped up by predestination. It means that after you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are destined to become like him. The treasure, uh, treasure here is adoption. You have become like a son or a daughter to God the Father. You have full, immediate access to God. I love those pictures of uh, JFK where little John John is in the Oval Office playing under the desk. Uh, you and I can't get anywhere near him, but his son could come in anytime he wanted to. Quarantines and closures and lockdowns, none of them affect you being able to immediately approach your heavenly father. There's, you know, uh, I mean, I've heard countless stories, not just here in Hanford, but other places of uh, one guy on uh, my Twitter feed this morning was saying that he, he led a uh, young lady to faith in Christ, brand new believer. Now she's in the ICU fighting for her life, but he can't even go in to pray for her. Uh, because of the restrictions in the particular area that they're in. And, and so there's all of these stories. And you know, they bring you down, right? I wanted to visit my dad. I wanted to visit my mom, my son, my daughter. I want, they wouldn't let me because of this pandemic. It brings us all down. But there's someone that you can visit with and speak to anytime, all the time. And it happens to be in the throne room of the universe. And that's an encouraging thought. We're accepted in the beloved 
When the Father looks at you, he sees you in Christ. He loves you exactly the way he loves his only begotten son. Many a psychotherapy session came to a breakthrough when a person finally felt loved, I would guess. But the truth is, I don't want to be morbid. Some people think I'm a negative, you know, naysayer. I'm really a very positive person. But there are people in this world who will never really be loved or never feel loved or, you know, they're, they're just going to go without the kind of love that they crave until they come to know Jesus Christ. And then they have an everlasting love from before the foundation of the world. They were drawn by cords of love, the Bible says. The love was demonstrated in that while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. If, you know, somebody comes in and says, I just don't feel loved. Well, then you need to become a Christian. If you're a Christian and you don't feel loved, there's something wrong. You need to, you need to draw from this treasure that Paul is talking about. You have redemption through his blood. You were a slave to sin and deserved eternal death. You couldn't buy or earn your way out of your situation. The price for your freedom was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. One of the treasures here is that you were saved to serve. The measures that have been and still are being implemented to combat the spread of COVID-19 tend to get you focused more on yourself, don't they? You can't do this. You can't do that. You used to do this. And, and so they're, uh, you know, I'm, the devil, he takes advantage of things too. And he's using this to get us focused on ourself. By new nature, you are others oriented and should be thinking more about others than yourself. You have forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You still sin, but forgiveness is assured by grace. You should never sin that grace might abound, but when you sin, grace does abound. I don't want to make light of it, but sin is a greater pandemic affecting every man, woman, and child. Your sins are forgiven, and you can declare to others with authority that if they receive Jesus, their sins will be forgiven. You have an abundance of what is called wisdom and understanding. You have a whole new heavenly perspective on earthly matters. You understand that human wisdom is foolish, while the foolishness of God is wisdom. Uh, one way this would apply here in the pandemic is that there's just a lot of talk uh, about the pandemic and how people are responding to it. You have the gospel to talk about. Bring Jesus into your conversations. You have a whole different perspective on this pandemic based on even the things that we've talked about just this morning. Uh, and, and you can, uh, you know, greet it in such a way that other people see that. You know the mystery of his will. People like to blame God uh, or they, when they're, you know, the, the Christian's answer usually is God moves in mysterious ways. But here the Bible is letting us know that we have a lot more to say to people about why this is being allowed and all that. And if you've come here for any length of time, we've gone over our kind of theology of suffering many, many times. That we live in an age when Christians will suffer and the whole world is suffering. We're waiting for the redemption of creation. And, and the reason we're waiting is God is long-suffering. He's not willing that men should perish, but he wants them to come to eternal life. But every day he waits for someone to get saved, more people are suffering. God has a plan to end suffering. It's the only plan there is, other than everybody being annihilated. There's a, there's a uh, in an X-Files episode, I think it's, I haven't watched it for a while, but Mulder has three wishes from the genie, I think. 
And one of them is for world peace. Wouldn't you like world peace? And so the way he achieved, the, the genie achieves world peace is by having only Mulder in the world. He's the only person on the planet. And so it's, uh, the whole thing is about how, you, you know, you can't outthink a genie. Uh, but uh, uh, <laughs> we live in a world that is a fallen world because of our fault. It's not God's fault. He does have a plan. And you read about his plan in the Revelation and beyond. Uh, and once he deals with suffering, it'll be over. It'll be gone. You have obtained an eternal inheritance. Uh, some of the, the preparations for your future can be seen in the last two chapters of the Bible. But what this is telling us is that our hope is essentially in the future, a future that's written in advance by God. When we're talking about a disease that kills, the afterlife is on the table. I have to say, I mean, what are people worried about if not dying from COVID-19, right? I mean, people don't have this level of anxiety when they get the flu. Last time you had the flu, you weren't like having panic attacks. But people now, it's COVID-19, it's like, oh, they don't want to die. And so the afterlife is on the table. That's the point of discussion. You think you're going to die. Are you ready to die? That, right? I mean, if, if you think you're going to die, then the next question is, am I ready to die? Uh, and, and it's a valid question. And so, you know, uh, you and I, we are. And so this isn't, you know, we don't want, I don't want COVID-19. But if I get it and I die from it, I'll be absent from my body, present with the Lord. To live is gain, but to die, or to die is Christ. But to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I got it. There it is. <laughs> to live is Christ, to die is gain. Yeah. Hey, I, I've got more problems than COVID right now. <laughs> COVID-19 would be the least of my problems. <laughs> you have the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. How does he come up with these run-on sentences? Paul's got so much to say about the glory of God that he just keeps talking. Here he's talking about the fact that you have the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, and therefore you are enabled powerfully to obey God and to walk with him. There are a few other treasures in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Go ahead and list them for yourself on your own time. And of course, the list there is certainly not exhaustive. Treasure is scattered throughout the Bible for you to discover and to use as currency in whatever situation you're in current pandemic, it's a good time to make withdrawals from your treasure. Take all you need because it is unlimited. Loneliness, depression, anxiety, worry, fear, suicidal ideations, all these and other mental effects of the quarantines and the lockdowns and the restrictions are treated by your spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Don't let that great dragon Satan keep you from your treasure as if he's holding it down. Go to it, draw from it, use it. Invest the treasure you have to render. It's Christmas time. Every gift you give or get ought to remind us of God's indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus was given by God the Father. Jesus freely gave himself. After ascending into heaven, Jesus gave the church the gift of the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit gives every believer one or more spiritual gifts. Do you see a pattern of giving? There's a two-verse parable that is often misunderstood. It's the parable of the pearl. 
It's in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. At first hearing, you might conclude that Jesus was the pearl on account of his preciousness. That would make believers merchants, giving their all for him. And there's a certain draw to that. But as we used to say, not. If you are the merchant, you are contributing to your salvation. Salvation is no longer by grace. You are doing something to get Christ. And so the truth is, you are the pearl of great price. Jesus is the merchant. He gave all his life to purchase your salvation. And so God gives. You and I are to give to others out of your treasure. Pretty obvious, right? Every Christian knows that. What isn't so obvious is the way that you share your treasure, or I should say the way God shares his treasure in you with others. He does it by your brokenness. Now let's see if we can get a handle on what that means in this context. We can start with some words in verse 7 we didn't mention, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. The idea here is that the light is hidden within a clay pot, an earthen vessel. Almost all Bible commentators believe Paul is thinking about the Old Testament story of Gideon and his victory over the Midianites recorded in Judges chapter 7. Outnumbered 450 to 1, Gideon's army nevertheless prevailed. Each of Gideon's men had only a trumpet and a clay pot with torches hidden inside the pots. When they blew the trumpets and broke the pot so that the torches could shine, the Midianite army was routed. Why? What, what did that, you know, the only answer to that? Because that's the way God wanted to do it, to show his power. And some thousands years later, it gave Paul a great illustration for a spiritual truth. And so much of what you read in the Old Testament obviously is illustrative of truth that you're going to encounter in the New Testament. And, and so it's not, you know, there's nothing magic about the clay pots or the breaking of them. It's just that's God says, hey, we're going to do it this way because this is going to be a great illustration in the first century. The granddaddy of all of these, I don't have time for this, but sure, okay, I will, uh, <laughs> is uh, the sacrifice, uh, Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, his near sacrifice. And this is a doozy because unbelievers, they really get you on this. I can't follow a God who would let Abraham sacrifice his own son. Well, he didn't sacrifice his own son for one thing. And what they're missing is that centuries later, there would be a father who would sacrifice his own son on that same spot. You know who it would be? God the Father, Jesus, for your salvation. And so the story's not about God being mean and trying to get Abraham to sacrifice his son. It's, it's a way of showing you how amazing his plan of salvation is. It's incredible. So how are we broken? Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You can count on being pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and pounded in ways that non-believers are not. Definitions are good, but all these terms can have multiple meanings. Just know that in addition to the effects of COVID-19 on everyone, you have additional unique stressors because the world hates you because it hated Jesus. On account of your treasure, 
you can overcome being crushed, being in despair, being forsaken and being destroyed. It's not positive thinking or psychotherapy, it's truth for you to believe. As you are pressed and perplexed and persecuted and pounded, non-believers will see that you are not crushed in despair, forsaken or destroyed. Although they are spiritually blinded, they are enabled by God to see a light within you, a supernatural source of strength that can only come from God, which keeps and sustains you. In the things that break you, the person who blesses you is revealed. Now, there is a prerogative. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. One Bible paraphrase translates this, in any and every circumstance where there would normally be a reaction that reveals self, there is instead a reaction that reveals the character and nature of Jesus. E. Stanley Jones said, the early Christians did not say in dismay, look what the world has come to, but in delight, look what has come into the world. It's really too bad we overuse the phrase, what would Jesus do? because it's so applicable to times like this. So what is the dying of the Lord Jesus? I see it in one sense as his whole humility and humiliation in his coming to earth as God-man, setting aside the prerogatives of his deity, being the suffering servant, doing only what his father told him to do, and being led by the Holy Spirit and submitting willingly to his cruel death on the cross at Calvary. There is no possible situation you or I could ever be in that would be a worse humiliation than Jesus experienced during his first coming. And so Jesus could act like Jesus, right? And so you and I can act like Jesus as well. The Lord, fully God, fully man, in a mysterious way that we could never understand, but he let us know that he was setting aside the prerogatives of his deity and living as a man in a relationship with God by the Spirit. And he lived a life that was exemplary, to say the least. Uh, But it was a life of humiliation and humility. And so we need to remember that. When we are willing to be humiliated and be humble, then people see the light of the gospel. We can respond the way Jesus would because we have the Holy Spirit within us. When we do, people see Jesus and not us. If you bear about in your body the death of the, G- of the Lord Jesus, then he will be revealed. For we who live, verse 11, are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Christians who shine through this pandemic baffle the strategy of the God of this age who has blinded nonbelievers. The light of the gospel gets through bringing life to those who desperately need it. Speaking of pandemics, do you know why people say God bless you after someone sneezes? I looked it up on the Google. One of the symptoms of the bubonic plague was sneezing. It's believed that Pope Gregory suggested saying God bless you after a person sneezed as a prayer that would protect them from an otherwise certain death. Interesting. Our truth is that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And so instead of saying, God bless you when somebody sneezes, we should say all the time to one another, especially Christians, God's blessed you. And therein is our help and our hope for these 
difficult times.